This morning we're reading from the sixth chapter of John as we go through this series on, on that you may believe, that you may believe. And so as we look at the sixth chapter, we're only looking at the first 15 verses, but they are, they are unusual. I invite you now to hear the word of God. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. I want to make sure I'm reading from both translations. Please forgive me. Today seems to be an off day for Robert. Would you pray for him? So when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. And so Philip answered him, I would take more than, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they, will they go among so many? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to the disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Now, Jesus, knowing that they and what they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. This is the word of God. You may be seated. I realize that uh, many of you find those pews to be quite challenging when you sit through a sermon. And so I am going to try to make this sermon about 10 minutes long. Well, <laughs> Nora only said that because she's leaving. <laughs> the most amazing thing about this verse is the, the, the uh, overwhelming thing that is common to all of us, and that is hunger. Some of you are already hungry for lunch this morning. Some of you. The most amazing thing about the hunger that we have is hungers are those things that never are satisfied. I don't know about you other men, but one of the things that I oftentimes find, especially if I'm doing yard work, is I come in and my back will be itchy from maybe the grass or bugs that have bitten on me while I've been cutting the grass or taking care of the garden. 
And there's always one place I can't quite reach to scratch. I really try. And I look, sometimes I look like a bear against a tree. I'll go up against the bark of a tree and try to scratch. And just doesn't quite get it. You know what I'm talking about? It just doesn't quite satisfy. And so my poor wife will come in and she'll be as exhausted as I am. And I'll say, would you please scratch my back? And she'll start scratching. And I'll say, no, up, up, to the left, to the left, to the right. No, down, down, down. And when she hits the spot, it's almost like what well, you've seen puppies or dogs. When you hit the right spot, they start raising their leg and start doing it in the air. That's how I feel. It's like, oh, man, that's great. Right? What if you could find a place where life was like that for you every day? Do you know that's exactly what everyone is searching for? We're looking for a life where we find satisfaction. Where it hits the spot. And I don't know about you, but I have discovered that life is really un not like that at all, is it? Life doesn't have moments where the spots are always hit. The scratch is always in the right place or much less things last as long as we hope they would. And so the search for and the endeavor to find meaningful life is something that is endemic to our age. It's part of what it means to be human. It's really the nuts and bolts of everything. Some of you some of you in that hunger that you've had have married people thinking that you, your marriage to that person will satisfy that hunger. Some of you have said, well, if I just have kids and raise them, but then you have kids and you start raising them and you find out you have more, more places to be hungry over than, or more itches to be scratched because if you take one person who's a sinner and you take another person who's a sinner and you put them in a confined space and they have more little sinners, maybe one or two or three or 12, it becomes more chaos, doesn't it? It becomes almost like unmanageable and you begin to think, well, maybe it would be better if I didn't have kids. And that's kind of how life is, isn't it? If I just had enough money you know, if I won the lottery and then I'd have all the money I need, then I'd be happy. Then my life would be full. Well, that endeavor is probably what really caused people to follow Jesus because in feeding the 5,000, this, this miracle that John teaches us this morning about his witnessing of what Jesus did was not about scratching the itch of hunger that people had in their tummy. It was something deeper that Jesus was trying to exhibit, declare, show people as far as who he was and why he came. I used to think as reading a boy when I would read this passage, I thought, man, wouldn't it be great if Jesus just came back and took care of all the hunger in the world? I mean, isn't that what he's supposed to do? He's feeding 5,000. Imagine, imagine if he comes back and he just snaps his finger, waves a wand, and then everyone never has to worry about food again. But would that satisfy? We're one of the richest countries in the world. I see people standing out on the road begging for money when they can go to a government agency and receive probably more 
assistance than they would get if they worked at McDonald's? What's going on? You see, there's something in the heart of each of us where no matter what we have, no matter what we pursue, no no matter how many degrees we add to our name or how many spouses we work our lives through, we always are finding ourselves never quite satisfied. So this morning, when you think of this fourth sign of belief that we have in chapter 6, we have to understand that it's in the context of this, that Jesus, according to John's gospel and the way he wrote it, is, is being written around seven signs that Jesus gives about why he's here, why he has come into the world, and what he offers you this morning. We've already covered that he turned water into wine, speaking of the great wedding feast that God is preparing for his people. We've talked about the healing of the noble man's son who came and pleaded with Jesus not to come to his house, but just say the words, my son will be healed. And he was. We saw how a man who was lame for 38 years sitting by a pool was asked by Jesus, do you want to be well? And when Jesus healed him, There was nothing but criticism. There's also the feeding of the 5,000 we're taking care of this morning. There'll be the, the walking on the water. Jesus walked on water. Logan will lead us through that scripture next week. And then there'll be a man who was born blind, who was healed and could see. Then there'll be a raising of a man named Lazarus. These are the seven signs. It's in the feeding of the 5,000 that we find something that really is quite amazing. That Jesus wants us to understand not that he has come to do parlor tricks or magician tricks. He has come to declare that he is the answer to the itch we all have. And so if you're reading Jesus to get something in our day, for instance, you hear the gospel being preached, and it's not the gospel, but you hear a gospel being proclaimed that says if you come to Jesus, he'll make you rich, he'll pay all your bills, he'll make your kids grow up wise and strong, that Jesus will do all these things for you and take care of all your material needs. Let me tell you, if you're listening to that kind of teaching, you better run and put your hand on your wallet as you go. Because that kind of teaching is meant to fleece God's people of the very thing that God wants to give you, which is an abiding trust in God. The Bible says that God brings both the rain and the sun upon all people so that there are times of want and times of plenty. Why does God do that? Because in both circumstances, whether it's in want or in plenty, that we would not put our trust in our possessions or material things, but we would put our trust in the Lord. And that's the problem. We don't trust God. That's the reason Christ came, is that he began to open a way in which we can now have a relationship with God. And let me tell you, as a reformed sinner, I have to struggle every day to trust God. I have to struggle every day to know that whatever happens every day, God is at work in it. I have a conflict with my neighbor over a boundary. God is in it. I have an argument with my spouse where I'm not getting my desires. God is in it. I'm raising my children and they're not listening to me. God is in it. 
You see, this is where really the Christian life becomes filled with life because we believe that there is a God who is at work in our lives. He is doing something in us. He is making us more like Christ. And if you don't believe that, you only have to read the book of James where James says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you face various trials of all kinds. Last time I faced a trial, I was begging God, take it away. When in fact, God wants to use it to refine me. Amen. And so when you and I begin to deal with this passage, and it's, it's getting late in the hour, I'm almost out of time. But I very quickly want to show you something that's quite powerful about this. Because this miracle doesn't just deal with these 15 verses. It's going to extend all the way into the next two chapters. Because the theme of this whole business is about what makes life satisfying. We're going to see Jesus talk about eternal life. What is that? He says it's knowing God and the one he has sent. That's what life is. It's knowing God. And so the most amazing thing is over the next three chapters, we're going to see some powerful teaching about how you and I can live life joyfully. Convinced, convinced that God is for us, not against us. That he is out to bless us, not with material possessions necessarily, but that he's out to bless us in the reformation of our character so that we hate sin and love God instead of love sin and hate God. And so when you think of this whole business, you begin to look at this passage and it begins first with the Jewish Passover. Did you notice it? If you go back in verse 1, it says, along with almost every other miracle, that it was either on a Sabbath or near the Passover. Now there has to be significance with that because in verse 1, it says sometimes after this, meaning after Jesus had done the last miracle where he healed the man who was lame and it was by the pool in Bethesda. Or the, by the pool of Bethesda, he he literally he literally goes he goes across the Sea of Galilee, and he's in a very um, very wonderful, beautiful area of the country, and he's left those people because they saw the miracle, and now he's moving away from them to draw less attention to himself. And as he's moving away, the people run around the whole body of water. So that they can get back to him. Now it would be like you running all the way to Denver. Because someone took a boat from the marina here and went west. And as they did that. We were reminded by John. That they were seeking Jesus. Because of the signs that he had done in performing. Where he healed someone who was sick. And so he's sitting on this mountain. Imagine the slope as it's sloping down into the beautiful sea below. And Jesus is sitting there. And as he and the disciples are sitting there, this crowd is coming toward them. And Jesus looks up and sees them. And he turns to his disciples and says, where can we get enough food to feed all these people? John tells us in verse 4 that it was the Jewish Passover festival that was near. Now, immediately when you think of the Jewish Passover, you have to go back to Exodus. What happened in Exodus? Remember, God rescued his people from slavery. Remember? If you say yes, I won't preach as long. <laughs> and in that Exodus, he brought them out of Egypt. 
And he fed them manna from heaven. And he gave them meat. And he gave them water in an arid, dry land. God sustained them. Right? So Jesus, knowing this, that this crowd is coming, the Jewish passive festover is near, that the Jews are anticipating that the king who would come would need, do the same kinds of things that they did in the Old Testament. Jesus looked up and sees this great crowd, looks at Philip's and says, Philip, hey, Philip, where can we get food to feed these people? Can you imagine Philip's idea? He, he probably had the treasury. He probably carried the purse. And it was probably light. You ever felt that way? I just don't have enough money. I don't have enough skill. I don't have enough ability. I can't do that. And so when Jesus looks at him, he did so to test him. Why is he testing him? To see where his trust is. And that's why God tests you. You say, wait a minute. I, I thought I said God doesn't test us. No, but he allows trials into your life for that very reason. Why? So that you can see who it is that you are trusting in. In that testing of the disciples, it's at that point the disciples really are put on the spot in such a way that Andrew comes up and says, well, you know, how about second best, Jesus? We got five, we got lo barley loaves and fish, and that, that's not even going to be enough to scratch a dent. And you need to realize barley loaves were about the cheapest form of bread you could buy in that day. Y y have y'all had good bread? Have you had really good bread? This is not it. This is the stuff that you think maybe it's made of sawdust, right? It's, it's just, it's just a there to sustain you. And so this boy comes with this fish and barley loaves and they hand them to Andrew and he comes to Jesus and says, here it is, Jesus, this is all we've got. And amazingly so, Jesus says, I know what I'm going to do. An intentional sign for you, disciples. What does he do? Amazingly, he says, people, be seated. He doesn't panic. Sit down. Take a load off your feet. And then he instructs the disciples, take the, the fish and the loaf and break it up and put it in baskets and distribute it to everyone. But before he does that, get this, he offers a blessing. Men, do you want to know how to pray for a meal? Do you want to know how to thank God for the food we have? Here it is. This is a beautiful biblical prayer and it was the kind of prayer that Jesus probably prayed he would lift up the food to heaven and he would say blessed are you O God O Lord our God king of universe who brings forth bread from the earth isn't that gorgeous blessed are you O God who put the spaghetti on my plate blessed are you O God who made the hamburger let me tell you, when you hear reports about what's happening with food these days, maybe we should be thanking God more for what we have and not complaining. They feed everyone, all are satisfied. And just in the same way the tradition of the Jews would gather up all the food, Jesus says, take the 12 baskets and gather up all that is left. And they go around and amazingly, the baskets are full. 
Why, it's another manna from heaven. Now, there are some unbelieving critics of the Bible who say, well, the real miracle here is not that Jesus fed everyone with five loaves and, and, and three fish or whatever it was. The real miracle, these critics say, is that when Jesus asked this boy to share what he had, then everyone else felt like, well, maybe I should share too. And so as the baskets were being passed around, everyone who had secret food under their cloak just began to put it out, you know, and share it with people. It's kind of like what we do here when we have homecoming. Everyone brings a dish and we all eat together, right? There's the miracle, these critics say. That's what God has done. God has caused selfish people to be unselfish. Let me tell you, if you hear someone preach that way, walk out. Because that's not in the text. The text is so clear that this sign that Jesus did was a sign that would remind the Jews that God who gave manna to his people in the wilderness was the God who would provide their need today. Amazing, isn't it? Well, I'm about to finish. The significance of this is so important. Not only did he add to the people to be seated, not only did they offer a blessing, not only were all satisfied, not only were the 12 baskets gathered, here's the significance of it. First and foremost, when you look at the teaching that John gives, there are only three Passovers that are recorded. The first Passover is where Jesus is walking in Jerusalem and he points to the temple and he says, see all these stones, they are going to be destroyed. And then he goes on and says to the disciples, destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. Speaking about the day he would be crucified and he would be raised. That he was the Lamb of God. That Lamb they used in the Passover meal. Every Passover. The Lamb that was slain and the blood painted on the doorpost for the angel to pass over. To not bring the wrath of God upon their home. He was that Lamb that was going to give his blood for the ransom of many. The third Passover... That not just speaks of that temple being destroyed. The third Passover is actually that time where Jesus is crucified on the cross. Do you remember? It was Passover when he was betrayed. It was Passover when they prepared that meal that was his last meal. It was the Passover. That Passover that became what we know today as the Lord's Supper. Take this bread and eat. It is my body. Take this, blood, uh, take this wine or this cup and drink all of it in remembrance of me. That's the Passover that Jesus was celebrating with his disciples before he was crucified. But here's the most amazing thing. This Passover that's mentioned, the second one is a Passover that deals with eternal life. In other words, when Jesus saw these crowds coming and they were hungry for life, he was declaring to them by giving them this food that I am the Lord of life. Last week we heard from the scriptures, Jesus telling people, if you come to me, you will have life. Do you remember? Come to me and you have life. But you refuse to come. So what's the, what's the alternative? You don't come to Christ, you'll never have life. You'll never have it. He said, Robert, I want to know what this life is. Tell me. Tell me more. Tell me more. You have to come back next Sunday. It's in the text. I'm sorry. It is. 
You see, next Sunday, we're going to be talking about how do we have life in Jesus? Real life. Abundant life. Eternal life. Life that satisfies you. Would you pray with me? Our gracious God and our Father, I want to know this life. I, I, need, I need the power to live in my day. I need Jesus. And I need to know how I can have him. Not just on Sundays. Not just during Easter or Christmas. I need to understand the one who promises me this morning that if I come to him, I will have life. I want to understand this. And so we pray, O oh God, that you would open our hearts to your word. That we would recognize our hunger and our inability to satisfy our souls. Because there's nothing in this world that satisfies eternally. And yet you tell us you can. And therefore we, we pray God have mercy upon me. Have mercy. And the people of God said together.